Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorja and welcome to another episode of Rice for Breakfast, a podcast about Asian Americans in pop culture. I received two more written reviews last week. The first one is from, yup, uh, 739,8. And they say, really interesting and in-depth conversations with seemingly ordinary people who are paving the way for the Asian American voice in extraordinary ways. The people being interviewed you may not have heard of before, but they all bring a unique perspective and upbringing to the broader conversation about the rise of Asian influence on the world today. Excited to listen more and be able to connect with the narratives that have long been unseen and unheard until now. Uh, thanks to Ian for pushing the envelope to make Asian Americans feel less like quote-unquote onlys. Thank you for that. And then we got another review from Elaine Palladino. Uh, and they say, as a big fan of interviews and good interviewers, Ian is a stellar as host and curator of discussions, great conversations and perspectives. So thank you very much, Elaine and Yup. Uh, those two reviews bring us up to seven written with a total of 29 five-star reviews. So thanks so much for everyone for the ratings. If you haven't rated yet and you enjoyed the podcast, please do. And if you take the time to write one, I'll be sure to read it out loud on the next episode. In news this week, Netflix has announced that they will produce a reimagined live-action series based on the award-winning and beloved Nickelodeon animated series, Avatar The Last Airbender. With the original creators, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konitsko, uh, DiMartino and Konitsko are going to serve on this new production as showrunners and executive producers. Uh, the original series ran from 2005 to 2008, and even though it was only three seasons, got a really big cult following, even to those who didn't watch anime. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed the series. Um, I think there's a lot of hope in this film that it can fix the uh, not-so-great memories of M. Night Shyamalan's 2010 live-action version of The Last Airbender. And I think with the original showrunners, there's a lot of... Uh, they're off to a great start. Brian Konitsko and Michael DiMartino say, we're thrilled for the opportunity to helm this live action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender. We can't wait to realize Ong's world as cinematically as we had always imagined it to be and with a culturally appropriate and non-whitewashed cast. Uh, I love that they took the time to call out the non-whitewashing of the cast. Um, a lot of movies and series that have been adapted adapted to uh, live action have ended up whitewashing. Uh, Netflix has done this a handful of times. Most recently with uh, the live action version of the anime series called Death Note and also uh, the Marvel version of Iron Fist. So I'm glad that they're taking steps to learn and see that you don't need to whitewash characters to get people um, to watch the show. Netflix is saying the production is going to start in 2019, which puts this out a little far in advance, but uh, I still thought thought it was exciting news, uh, especially with that little quote from the two showrunners. This week's guest is actor Justin Lee, also known as Anyang, from one of my favorite shows of all time, Arrested Development. People who know me know how often I quote and reference the show, so I was really excited when Justin quickly agreed to come into the podcast. Um, Justin and I talk about convincing his parents to get him acting lessons, getting and cast and working on Arrested Development, the heartbreak of having to step away from competitive mixed martial arts, producing and winning an award at HBO's Asian Pacific American Visionaries Film Competition, uh, the amazing Asian American film community in LA, his love of podcast, and his feelings on LeBron James signing with the Lakers. Uh, Justin was awesome to have on the show, and I know all of you will enjoy the episode. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @ricebreakfast. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash riceforbreakfastpod. And you can go to riceforbreakfast.com for 
more ways to listen. So thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, eat your rice for breakfast. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Uh, for those who don't know and have the, I guess, fortunate uh, a chance to watch Arrested Development for the first time, Justin was Anyang uh, in the show Arrested Development um, and is an actor. How many IMDb credits? 17 IMDb credits, movies, TV shows, shorts. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into acting or what made you want to do acting? You started when you were pretty young in 2003, I see, was your first credit? Yeah, I started very young. Uh, I was uh, 13 when I started acting, 14 when I got my first big, big television job. But, I mean, essentially, I've been wanting to act since I was four years old. I was one of those rare kids that knew at a very young age kind of what I wanted to do. And so a lot of that started because, you know, when you're growing up uh, in the 90s, predominantly there's a lot of latchkey kids. So (laughs) there wasn't much uh, parental supervision, but there was a lot of uh, television supervision, right? So the TV was my babysitter. (laughs) Uh, So I I watched a ton of movies, uh, a ton of of shows. Um, I remember my brother and I would come home and watch Happy Days uh, in elementary school. And so for me, I was always always fascinated by films, but I never thought acting was a job. I never saw the people on screen as actors. I, I just was watching it in dis, in, with suspended disbelief, right? Right. Then, then one day you go to school and people start asking you, teachers start asking you, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I've been a big fan and participant of sports my whole life. Uh, my dad is very active. He was a baseball pitcher. I played soccer. Um, so he's he's been very big on sports. And so because of that, that kind of rubbed off onto me. And um, I knew from a young age. So from the age of four, I knew I wanted to play professional sports just because the most fun I ever had was on the field or competing. It just seemed like I was always my most present. It just seemed like the most natural environment for me. Now, a lot of the movies that I would love watching were sports movies go figure. I mean, you watch some of them now, you might say they're a little cliche, you know, but like, I love the Mighty Ducks. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. A kid. I'm a big Anaheim Ducks fan because of that. Are you from and, LA originally? The LA area, right? Well, I was born in LA, but I grew up in Orange County. Okay. So it. it makes sense that I'd be a Anaheim, uh, Anaheim Ducks fan. And, um, but for me, the, my favorite movie, um, probably the most impactful movie was Rocky, Rocky okay. and Rambo. Okay, so now, you're a big Stallone guy growing up. Yeah, I was. You know, I loved his movies. I, re- I still do. But and, and, and I remember I was, in, I was in Mammoth for a family vacation. I was four years old, and my dad just turned on Rocky and Rambo every night. That's what we were watching because they would just have it on <laughs> Marathon. On, so this is very fitting for a four-year-old to be watching. Right, right? of course, yeah. And so I'm watching. I, I, I probably liked Rocky more than Rambo uh, just because of the sport a- aspect that was part of it, that real underdog story. I felt like that was like I always felt that was a representation for me because I was always always the small kid in school. So I felt like he was like a voice for me, a voice for that underdog. And so I was obsessed with Rocky to the point where I would be (laughs) shadow boxing every single day, just asking my parents to put me in boxing every single day. I'd be shadow boxing. I had this wily coyote life size doll that was bigger than me, was bigger than me at four. And I would hang it from its neck with a Taekwondo belt from the second story because there's nowhere else to hang it from. You know, I yeah. wasn't trying to kill him, but 
And so I, w- I would be shadow boxing and punching it nonstop. And so I think once I hit about five years old, that's when I realized I was like, okay, well, I want to be a professional athlete, but what can I do to be like Stallone? <laughs> you know, and how yeah. can I do what he's doing exactly? And then it finally hit me. I was like, oh, he's just an actor. Oh, he's an actor. He's <laughs> playing something. And it finally started to make sense. Like, oh, this is a real job. You can actually, because you're. then I saw the Rambo movies and I'm right. seeing all these other movies. And I was a big James Bond fan too. So I watched all those old uh, James Bond movies. I was like, oh, these are actors. Right. They're not actually these people. I was like, oh, so this can be a job. And in my <laughs> mind, I kind of think I felt, I, I kind of knew already, like, there's no way I'm going to be a basketball player. The cards aren't in my hand. I'm already right. the smallest kid in school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think the logic was there. And I was like, well, if I could be an actor, I could do both. You know, I, then I get the best of both worlds. I get to be in these films and I get to do sports movies. And that, that, that's the dream. And so that's really where it all started for me. And I would be pestering my parents nonstop every year after that. Every year from the moment I was five, I'd be pestering them nonstop to put me in acting classes. That's awesome. Um before we get into your acting classes, what were some of your other favorite movies growing up? I was a big fan of Rookie of the Year. It was probably my favorite kids sport movie. Uh, were you a fan of that one? Rookie of the Year is a good one. Yeah. Where he where he breaks his arm and he has <laughs> yeah. a slingshot of an arm. That's yeah. a really good one. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Um, let me think. Yeah, being from I'm from the Bay Area, so we didn't have too many movies about sports teams. But you you had Angels in the Outfield. Uh, yeah, Mighty that Ducks, was a good obviously. one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Mighty Ducks. Oh man, <laughs> knuckle puck time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, James Bond movies? I, I grew up loving James Bond movies too. My grandpa loves James Bond, uh, so I grew up and he would always, you know, we'd watch the new movies or we. He had all the old movies on VHS too, so I have a pretty close relationship with those movies. Do you have, do you have a particular favorite? Oh man, uh, which one? I, I don't remember the title, but when he's fighting. Um... Gosh, what's his name? I can't remember. The guy with the big like jaws, like jaws. Shark. Yeah, yeah. Was that is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. I, I can't remember okay. which one that's that I remember. is in specifically. I think that's in Moonraker, one of them. But yeah, yeah, uh, Jaws. Yeah, that, he, he's. A I like the older ones better. Okay, so you're not a fan of the Pierce Brosnan ones or the uh, Daniel Craig ones as much? Yeah, I mean, I like them all, but I mean, Daniel Craig, if anything, is the most fitting physically. Sure. Given that, that's for that's for damn sure. Yeah, <laughs> but um. <laughs> Some, something about, yeah, those older ones. I just I really liked them. So what was it like when you're trying to get your parents to let you take acting classes? Was that a struggle or was it a pretty easy uh, easy sell for them? It took me about nine years of pestering wow. them to finally get put into an acting class. You know, it was um, so so I mean, I would ask them constantly, like, I want to do acting. I want to do acting. But this is pre-internet, right? So it's very easy to get scammed. I mean, even today, you got to worry about scams, but it's a little easier to do your research and due diligence today if someone's legit or not. And in the L.A. area, too, right? I'm sure there's this. The, right. Uh, well, if Orange County was where I was growing up. It was worse there because you had people with money and people that want to hear that your kid is a star and like, I can make them a star, right? Your kid has so much potential. And so every kid has potential. I shouldn't be mean, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, they, they feed the parents what they want to hear and you want to hear nice things about your kid. Right. Right. And then they give you the, all we need to do is have you pay this much for headshots and this much for this class and this class. And then it's like, this is all before we get an agent. Yeah. And then, uh, you maybe will get an agent. Right. And then they promise you all these things like, Oh, we'll get you on this commercial and this shoot and that shoot. Uh, but it's none of it's ever true. And I, what made it more difficult for me was 
my parents tried the acting thing with my brother. Oh, so uh, older brother, I'm assuming? Yeah, older brother. And they went to this Korean place because they felt like since they're Korean and they're going to a bunch of Koreans, maybe they'll be more trustworthy and they won't scam a fellow Korean. Oh, were they wrong? <laughs> <laughs> they were wrong. So they were a little hesitant to try it again. Yeah, so they got they got extorted for you know a few thousand. They got oh. hustled for a few thousand dollars. You know, that, that's they, heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, I, I don't blame them though. My brother's definitely a good looking guy. He, <laughs> he, uh, he had he had that gene pool going for him. He definitely. He, I mean, to this day, when my brother, I mean, he's super fashionable. I mean, this guy is like in high school. He was he was on in the yearbook. He was told the, the most fashionable person, right? Right. For his and so every exactly, and to this day. When we go to meet up with like family friends for the first time, or that we're being introduced, they'll see me, they'll see me, and then they'll see my brother and be like, "Oh, you must be the television actor." <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. What it's does wonderful. he do? What does he do really quickly? No, he's like, ah, no. Um, <laughs> at the time, he's like, oh, I do banking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my brother over there. Right. You know, it's like I'm I'm sitting in short gym shorts and a t-shirt, all casual. So sure. I don't blame them. Right. I don't blame them at all. But <laughs> So they got they got scammed with my brother, you know, and, and because of that, they were very skeptical. And fortunately, my next door neighbor, um, really good friend of mine, Michael Childs, his mom, Eileen, um, had had his had her son doing commercials and print work. And I would see him in this Domino's commercial. I'd see him in this uh, this magazine doing print work. And I'd wonder, OK, well, he's doing it. He's doing it at least maybe not to the level that I want in films, but he's doing it. Right. And so, again, this is pre-internet. So I had to take a notebook and interview his mom. Uh, I was about to turn 12 or 13. I interviewed his mom. And I remember asking her, grilling her with a bunch of questions, asking her, like, where's a legitimate place that I can go to acting school? Uh, where's a legitimate place that I'm not going to get scammed? Do you know anyone close by? Are they all in L.A.? Or is there anything in Orange County? And she referred us to where our friend Michael went for a bit, and that was Talent Studios of Orange County. And that's where I met uh, a fellow actor, Sean Michael Fable, uh, a good friend of mine who was in uh, Aquila and the Bee and whatnot. And his mother, Gigi, uh, was the one that ran the studio. And bless her heart, an amazing person. She ran that studio from, from her heart and, and not to make money from these actors. And a lot of it was because her son was an actor. So she wanted to bring in casting directors and directors and writers from L.A., uh, legitimate, legitimate working professionals to this studio all the way down in Orange County so that her son can get, um, you know, legitimate coaching. So I was referred to go there. And I remember I went to my mom the day before it was going to be my birthday. And I said, mom, for my birthday, this is all I want. Okay. This is all I want. Just sign me up for one acting class. That's it. I did the research. It's not a scam. You know who Eileen is. You trust her. Her son's doing it. Like I did the research and she's like, okay. In her mind, she's thinking this is going to be like a, a one month of an art class type deal. Right. right? Right. Just like an extracurricular hobby. Mind you, I did pretty well in school. So my parents were all like, why are you focusing on the arts? You know, academics, go to college. You could be the one to go to Yale, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, and so she's like, you know what, we'll try it. And so they send me there. I uh, do this acting class and I just loved it. It just felt so liberating, so free. And again, as a latchkey kid, pre-internet, what you're doing for fun is playing make-believe for the most part. You're playing pretend. You know, you're, you're creating these stories in, in your mind. So it just felt very natural. It felt like what I was already doing at home. 
And uh, two months into the acting class, um, again, this goes to show you uh, the heart of these people. Uh, two months in, Gigi goes, you know what? Your son is ready to get an agent. Like, there's, I mean, if he wants to continue getting classing, getting coaching, that's fine. But I'm not going to keep taking money from him and, and hold him from getting represented when I know that he can get repped. So is that is that a thing uh, for young actors? If you're getting coached, they're also your representation up until a certain point? It's it's common where you might have some coaches try to, and it's a conflict of interest, you know, try to control everything about you. Got or it. maybe they really don't have the connections they say. Uh, um, they okay. really can't get you the agency, so they just keep you sticks keep you around the minor leagues forever right, right. you know keep taking your money it's like and, and you know she could have easily continued to say oh you're not ready yet. you gotta do three months more of coaching there's no one to really refer to otherwise sure sure you know you're trusting in the professionals and the people that are actually doing it that have experience but uh back to the back to the story um so two months in Gigi said you know what you're ready let me get a showcase for you so the way the showcase works is uh you bring the actors in your class in your in your studio and whoever is ready to get an agency, they pay a small fee because that fee is used by the school to bring in these agents as an honorarium, right? At least this is how it was done back in the day. Right. Um, and so she brought in five uh, reputable medium market agencies. Um, and I was the only one at the showcase. So it cost me, it cost me $200 to enter the showcase. But let's be real here. It definitely cost her more than two hundred dollars to bring everyone right, down. Right, bring five agents down. Yeah, exactly. So again, it goes to show you the heart of the people out there, and, and those are the types of types of people you want to look for and and you know keep an eye out on. Not not those people that promise you all these different things. Um, and so, I uh, I for I did a good job. Luckily, um, I the only thing I remember reading is a monologue and a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> And uh, after that, I got a call from all five agents saying wow. that they wanted to rep me. Yeah. And so I got I feel like lucky. that's a, I mean, how, how many other actors do you know who get a five for five on their? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, haven't asked too many. I just, again, I just chalk it up as I was, um, I was fortunate. I got lucky and I really liked what I was doing. You know, and I think that if you really love what you're doing, um, then you're present in your moment. You're not worried about those things. You can't control whether they like you or not. And so for me, it wasn't about that. I was just so, I don't even think I had the concept of I'm going to get an agent here. It's just, I was just f excited to be doing it. Right. Felt like I was doing something. And so I got a call from all five. And I think that's when my parents started to think, okay, well maybe he could do this for fun on the side as a real hobby. Um, and so, um, we decided to go with the first two agents that called me. We felt like since they were the first two that called, they liked us the best. Right. They, <laughs> they acted, yeah. Early bird gets the worm, right? So. Yeah, exactly. And so from there, my agents were sending me out auditions um, the, that week. That week I was going out. And so we were driving from Orange County to LA, a two-hour drive up, two-hour drive back. Um, and I got lucky. I was uh, part in the phone. Yeah, I got lucky. I was uh, working right away. You know, I, I started booking commercials right away. In the first month, I booked a commercial. The next month, I booked two commercials. The month after that, I booked two more. So I was always constantly working. And then um, my first TV show audition, I, I got that too. And that was Arrested Development. That's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, it wasn't, uh, I don't know if this is the normal route, right? You know, I think everyone has a different journey, but, um, yeah, so that's why I always, I always try to say I was just very lucky, you know, very fortunate that I was, uh, in a position to be given a good opportunity. Sure. Um, that, I mean, yeah, it was pretty wild. A couple of commercials and then straight to, uh, arrested. So what was that like? I mean, you got to go into a full, I mean, a studio TV show, right? It was on Fox at the time. Um, a lot of big actors, uh, actors and actresses were involved. Um, you know, what was your family like when you, when you booked that first gig and what were you like, obviously? I mean, I was, I remember when I booked, I was so happy. I was driving home and I got the call when I got home and they were so excited that they called me and said, we just wanted to tell you, but, um, we're going to call your agent right now. When your agent calls you, you got to act surprised because technically we're supposed to tell your agent first. And your <laughs> agent has to tell you, but we just had to tell you. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so my agent told me I had to get all excited again. I remember going home and my brother just running up to me, picking me up and running me around the hall. <laughs> yeah, so it was a really, really exciting moment. But again, you have no idea what to expect. So it's a right. whole new journey, right? Right. And so I go on to this set. It's probably good that I went on completely green because there was no nerves there was absolutely no nerves there was nothing else to compare to i didn't know how big people were i didn't know how big the show was going to be and in my mind this was for all i had nothing else to compare it to so this was all normal for me this is how it should be um but ha after having worked on other sets again i've been fortunate to work with good people and, and mm -hmm. to have avoided the bad sets that you hear of mm -hmm. but um i mean just to work with all these professionals when you get to analyze it now as an adult, as, as an actor that's now an adult, you really get to appreciate it um, on a completely different level. And I'll give you an example, which was a lot of my scenes are with Tony Hale, who plays Buster. Now, um, the first day I got onto set, Tony did an incredible job of making me feel comfortable. I mean, you were so much, or I guess what maybe, or uh, Michael Sarah and what is the actress's name who plays maybe? Uh, um, Alia. Alia yeah, Alia, yeah. I mean, you guys, I guess you three were the same age, right? But everyone else was obviously much older than you three. Isn't that crazy? We're yeah. the same age. Yeah. <laughs> How much younger did I look? I mean, they're yeah, you great. Looked, Don't get me yeah. wrong, but I looked like a baby. Yeah, you looked now. way. I actually uh, didn't even realize you were the same age until I looked at like your IMDb page. I was like, whoa, <laughs> uh, you just look so young on, you know, yeah. arrested. Yeah, it's it, crazy. It's crazy, which is so funny because Offset, we connected, we gelled really well because we were the same age. You know, we gelled really well, but it was just, um, it was interesting because I, uh, and that's kind of been a, a trait, a trend for me in my career too, where I'm always going out for roles that are, that are predominantly younger, you know, but, um, I mean, it was, so they did a great job too, really of making me feel welcomed, you know, but a lot of it was, um, Buster they, in between takes would play a lot of games, you know, trivia games, uh, trivia movie games or like slap hands and things like that. They always did a good job of making me feel included, but Buster did a really good job the first day of like, there's a lot of sitting around in between takes, you know? Right. And so he did a really good job of making me feel comfortable playing these little games with me, like hot hands. You know, we played a lot of hot hands. Uh -huh. um, and for me, I, I didn't notice it then, you know, cause you're young, you just think this is normal, but looking at it now as an adult, you look at, wow, he, he really did a good job going out of his way to make me feel comfortable. And you could see, that 
that who knows if I would have been as comfortable being mean to him in those scenes because we're not supposed to get along, right? Right, yeah, um, of course. And those, those scenes were so effortless. It was so fun for us to fight because I knew it wasn't like we really didn't like each other. Right. You know, it was we really did like each other. And so it, it made it more comfortable to be mean to each other because it didn't seem like they were really mean to me in, in real life, right? They really did like me. Right. And so – and. and when I look at that now, I think, wow, that probably made a big difference, you know? And mm -hmm. when you're an adult actor, you're taught these things a lot. Like when you're working with younger actors, you got to really do what you can to make them feel comfortable. You had a lot of scenes with Jessica Walter, uh, Lucille Bluth. Um, how is it working with her as well? Oh, she's a doll. Actually, I mean, she's, she's incredibly nice. I mean, really talented, a veteran, right? I mean, yeah. just, I mean, she's, she's done it all. Um, but, she really had a maternal instinct towards me, mm -hmm. which is so funny because it's the opposite. The opposite. Of, and again, <laughs> right. I think they did that on purpose because they knew their characters were going to be doing the opposite of how they're acting in real life. Right. Like their characters are somewhat uh, mean to me, you know, and, and um, you know, she's got her ulterior and hidden agenda for why she has me around. It's not really because <laughs> right. she wants a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> and so but uh, um, off camera, she was always so nice to me would always um go out of her way to be like oh did we make sure that justin has this like uh um, are we making sure that he's got his water too little things like that that maybe yeah. you're not really going to speak up for yourself yet right you you're know? so much younger you're a kid and totally... yeah and i'm just happy to be there you know <laughs> give me no water i would have been yeah. <laughs> you know i was just so hum the whole experience was very humbling for me it really was it was um was I was just so there was so much gratitude for me to be there, and um, you know the big thing that Jessica Walter did too was in the season finale. Um, from what she told me, she really made a big effort to make sure that I was there for the last episode for for season three before we knew right. there was going to be a season break. four. Yeah, she she really uh, uh, pulled for me and told the writers like, look, if this is it, if this is the last one, like we got to have Justin in here. That's amazing. This can't be the last one, and and we can't not bring him in. So it was really, really nice of her to do that as someone at that level to look out for someone else too. That's not just her, but someone else's interest. Right. I mean, that is that is someone that understands what it's like to really work to be in the industry and what it was like and how hard she must have had to work as a woman in the industry to, to get to where she was. Uh, so, you know, Arrested Development is a cult TV show uh, in every sense of the word. Did people and have people just come up to you, called you Anyang, uh, things like that, just out on the streets? And how, how did that start up again when the show came yeah. back and all sort of stuff? Yeah, it happens, man. It happens all the time, <laughs> you know? It uh, happens less and less the older I get. Sure. Excuse me, because yep. um, it uh, you know, it just I, I'm just way older now. Yeah, puberty happened. Right? <laughs> <But> <laughs> you don't have that bowl cut anymore, so. Yeah, but you have those diehard fans where mm -hmm. it's like, how how do you see me as that even today? <laughs> so you'll get that. You'll get that, especially um, it's big in colleges, right? So it was yeah. always big in the college demographic when it was on Fox, but thankfully because of Netflix people are still able to go and, and watch it. And, and, you know, a, a lot of times it almost seems like a rite of passage for people, for people going to college that are looking for good shows. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously the show is so incredibly ahead of its time uh, in, in terms of the style of comedy. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's, again, it's a show you can watch a million times. You're still catching new things. It's, 
obviously yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan. And, and the fans are hilarious. I yeah. mean, they, there's a reason why they like this show because they understand comedy. Right. They really do. And, and I mean, on that Anyang point, do people still say Anyang? Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, but I'll give you one example was I woke up one morning, I think this was about a month ago, and my buddy Jing, a uh, director friend of mine, we, we worked on a, sh- a shoot, called, uh, shoot called Toenail. Mm-hmm. And so he texts me in the morning. He's like, yo, you're blowing up all over Reddit. And he sends me the link. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And of course, the internet is just filled with hilarious people. We know right. that because of memes now. We, we realize there's so much more funny people now than we realize. <laughs> right. And so it's someone took a recent headshot of mine and goes, well, Anyang, Anyang. <laughs> so it's like, why, hello, why, hello, hello. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, yeah. Just, it's funny. And then you see the comments. I yeah. mean, the the best one, uh, I have to say, is like that that uh, ugly duckling swan story, right? That cliche <laughs> one where it's yeah. like, the term is like, man, Anyang long-bottomed hard. <laughs> like, long that had to be... Yeah, yeah. That, was, that had to be the funniest comment that's I, good. I, I ever heard. I mean, that, what a what a great use of an adjective. Yeah, right? that's good. Um, so after that, what what did you do? Did you continue acting? Um, do you go to school? Uh, I know you got into MMA for a little bit there. I did. So I've been competing in combat sports since I was four. Uh, competing in competitions, uh, full contact. Um, I did a lot of Taekwondo tournaments where, uh, you know, we were kids allowing the, where they allowed good kids to head kick each other in the head. Probably not the safest, you know, because right. we're just on thin mats and if right. your head hits the ground, it's not going to do much, but that's how it was back then, you know? And so I've always been, always been heavily involved in sports. And I think actually the toughest part for me in high school was that I was missing so much school. I didn't get to participate in the sports that I would have liked to because it's a commitment. You got to be around for practice. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. But fortunately, the flip side of that is my favorite sport was MMA. And that's not a sport in school. That's not a collegiate sport. That's a private sport you got to go to a gym for. And so that's that's really where I found my my haven of being able to do both. And if I didn't get to do both, I think I probably would have lost my mind and would have probably <laughs> given me a bitter taste for one or the other, right? Yeah. And so it, it was it was an outlet for me to continue to do that. And in high school, I decided that well, why why can't I do both? Why can't I train to be a professional fighter mm-hmm. and and continue to be a professional actor? So realizing your childhood Rambo dreams and Rocky dreams at a very relatively young age. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and you shortly find out sometimes you're too ambitious for your own good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, a big thing was my senior year was I, I decided I wanted to go to school full time that year. In my senior year, my final year, and, and I joined the wrestling team. That that was uh, that was the route that I took. Um, and eventually I just got so many injuries and just <laughs> took so much damage. Um, and at the peak of it, I was 18 years old. And uh, I didn't have insurance at the time, mm-hmm. you know, so every time I was getting an injury, I would just tape it up and keep competing. Um, so eventually, a few years down the line, I finally got all these MRIs done. They're like, hey, listen, you tore both your shoulders. You've been competing for years now with torn labrums. Um, you've got disc herniations, compressions. You've tore your meniscus. You've got plantar fasciitis on both your feet. You know, you got Achilles tendonitis. You broke your orbital. You, so just, you 
across the yeah, board so, damage. Exactly. Right. And what the crazy thing was for me, it wasn't the orthopedic issues that that stopped me. I would have kept going if it was just that, to be honest. I mean, it's that it's that fun. Right. It's not to say that I'm crazy. It's no, it's actually, it's that fun. <laughs> is your passion. That's how fun it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm telling you, anyone that goes into it, you're going to see it's addicting. It's really addicting. I recommend it for everyone. Um, so that's when I, I, I realized like I, the, the thing that really hit me was when I realized my brain wasn't working the same. Huh. You know, I was having all these headaches. I probably had massive amounts of concussions. I've been hit in the head easily 10,000 times over the, over my lifespan and I was waking up with these ridiculous headaches. My hands and my feet were tingling. At one point, it was really hard for me to get out of my bed. So and I was very seeing bad these signs, like um, little, yeah, I was seeing these little red dots. Real bad sign of brain injury and brain trauma. Yeah. And so, um, I, I I decided like I've got to I've got to step away. It was the toughest decision for me to make. It really was. To this day. Um, I look back at that time and it was one of the toughest issues, decisions for me to make, which was admit that, you know, I'm just not uh, physically in the position to, to be a professional athlete in this sport. Right. You know, and that, it's, it's a hard thing to say when you see your, your tools are developing, your technique is developing, you and know what you want to do, years. but your I mean, body is just in pain. Yeah. You started when you were 40, yeah. right? so 14, 15 years you've been going on that after you made that decision, just went right back to acting or what'd you do? Yeah. I decided to full force acting. Then I was like, okay, well then this is it. Then I'm going to go full force acting. And if I want to go into acting, then I've got to diversify my craft in entertainment as well. And I've got to start writing. I've got to start producing. I've got to make a company, you know, I've got to start getting and in, making interest into directing. You mm -hmm. know, it, I looked at it kind of like being a mixed martial artist at that point. <laughs> it was, I can't just go into this MMA fight as a boxer or as a wrestler. I got to have all the tools. Right. I can't just go into acting as just an actor. I got to know all these other tools. So, uh, what was that like then for you, uh, making that tr transition? Was there one part of the industry that you enjoyed doing more? I mean, aside from acting, obviously, so the writing or the directing or things like that, was there anything you leaned towards? I love writing. Mm -hmm. I really do, but um, I'm very self-conscious with it, so I haven't released anything yet. But okay. for me, I, I think... Um, Are we going to get anything I, soon? I, we probably, yeah, we will eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bound to happen. I've been working with some friends and been working closely on getting things out, especially today. I mean, it's an amazing time. It wasn't like when I was an actor growing right. up, you know. Nowadays, you have all these media outlets, all these opportunities to film something and put something up. I mean, even, all these distribution channels. Even at, at its uh, e almost, what, easiest access, I mean, YouTube, right? So many TV shows and, and comedians uh, have gotten huge breaks from producing their great content on YouTube. Absolutely. And workaholics, Absolutely. right? Uh, Broad City. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people. Exactly. And you're just going to get experience from it. You know, right. the big thing is everyone wants to be amazing right away. And it's like, that's just not the way it works. And that's why I think athletes transition really well into, into other industries because they have that discipline. They have that work ethic. And if they just take that same concept of, oh, I was so bad at throwing a jab when I first came in. Now my jab is my best weapon. You know, they've, they've seen that proof in life. Like, oh, hard work will pay off. You just got, you start somewhere. And so for me, it was, um, you know, I, I'd say producing was where I got the most opportunities. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it, it's a lot harder to get, uh, um, 
your scripts bought and things like that. You know, as a director too, you you got to get hired onto that. But as a producer, if you can bring in the projects, network with clients, if you can essentially procure your own job, right? And so, and if you're able to bring in that financing, then it's a it's a definitely a lot more of the business side of it. You know, mm-hmm. acting is very creative, but um, I think a lot of the actors that do well do well because it's not just that they're artistic, but they manage their business really well. And so, it really taught me producing. Really taught me the whole wheel of production. And then the best thing that it did for me, though, as difficult as it was, you know, because you know, for example, if you're first opening up an LLC. And you're not really sure how to do that in any business. There's a, there's bumps in the roads that you're learning, right? It's a learning curve. And so for me, the best thing that it did for me, though, is opened doors and opportunities for me to meet more directors and writers mm-hmm. and other producers, other people that were doing it well and doing it better than me, other people that I could bring in and learn from. And that's probably the biggest thing is having n- no ego about it, really having a beginner's mind, going into it as if as if you're a beginner, because I always look at it this way. The beginner learns at the fastest pace. When you know nothing, your growth, your period of growth is so quick versus when you've got a ton of experience to gain that next experience, it takes a lot more work. It's like video games, right? (laughs) To get to level one is really quick, but when you're at level 88 and you wanna go to level 89, that takes a lot of experience to get there. And I think that when you have that beginner's mind, you put yourself in the best position to gain the most information. So you produced a film called, you you talked about it earlier, a short film called Toenail, uh, and it actually won an award at the HBO um, APA Visionaries competition. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and what yeah. the HBO APA competition is? So um, HBO had a visionaries competition that be, they've been doing for, um, I mean, this was the first one they did for Asian Americans. And so they announced this contest one month before the due date. I think it was one or two months before the due date, which isn't a lot of time, but it was anyone, as long as you had like an Asian director or a writer and actor, in it, then um, it would qualify. And so um, HBO and VidCon and CAPE, um, they all partnered together to create this uh, competition as an opportunity to get more voices out there representing the Asian American community. Mm-hmm. And so there was it was a crazy, crazy experience, but it was amazing at the same time. So um, I actually, when I got that, uh, when I saw that ad on Facebook, I just shared it. And when I shared it, my buddy Jing, who was a director of it, um, he saw it too. As soon as he saw it, he uh, he had this script idea in mind, but he didn't have an avenue for it, right? He wasn't sure where it would be a good place to distribute. And then he saw um, what I posted from the HBO Visionaries campaign. And so they they looked at that, or he looked at that, and he was like, oh, this would be perfect for that story that I had no home for. Um, and then I guess he had originally thought of me for that role. And so he called me that day. He's like, Hey, I just saw your post. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's make something. I got a script idea. Um, do you, do you know any producers? I was like, well, I produce, um, I could produce it. He's like, okay, great. Well, I want you to be the lead actor in it as well. Here's the story that I have in line, but since you're Korean, I want to make it, um, accurate to Korean heritage. So we'll, I'll, I'll get these things down and then I'll refer to you and then we'll, you know, we'll change what we need to. 
And so we're like, awesome, let's, let's get this in. This sounds like a really good festival to, to be a part of. Um, and so the, actually the HBO APA uh, Visionaries Competition, they attached that, the premiere to the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Got it. Um, so uh, we essentially shot this all in about a month. Uh, actually, we shot it in four days, four days. But with uh, pre-production and post and uh, development, that. pre-production, production and post. Right. Yeah, it took us about a month and a half. Um, so it was uh, racing to the end. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was uh, it was a, it was a crazy experience because there's not much time to get it all done. Uh, limited budget. And, um, you know, it was it was really difficult personally because I was lead producing as well as lead acting in it. Something that I. Um, something that I will never do again, unless I, unless I have another, um, more, more producers to take over for, for when I, you know, and so it was, um, again, for, for the amount of people that we brought in, I think we did an incredible job. Um, everyone really put in a lot of work and Jing and I, we really developed a good, even better relationship after that. And so after we shot that, um, you know, we submitted it, and then from then on, I think it was a couple months later, we got a call back from from HBO saying that we're one of the winners That's and that awesome. they're going to screen it. Yeah, it was just an amazing experience, and it's still on HBO now, so if anyone wants to watch it, uh, they can watch it on HBO Go, HBO On Demand, anything. It's Just search up Toenail, and it should be there, but it was, it was really a, a, an incredible experience. One of those experiences where it's really difficult at the time but you know that you're doing something worth it. And at the end of it, it's one of those moments where you look back and go, Hmm, if I can do this and it's this difficult, I'm excited for what's next. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's great of HBO to, to do a dedicated film festival and then, you know, publish totally. the, the And actually it well. did so well that mm-hmm. they didn't expect it to do that well. So the theater that they got us, it was, um, like a 128 seating theater. It wasn't that big. It was a really, really small screening room because it was the first year. So they weren't right. sure how big it was going to get. I think they were just testing it out to see how it went. And in the first day, they sold out of all the tickets. Oh, and amazing. there were people constantly calling them for the next week, asking, how can we get tickets? How can we get tickets? And like, there's just no physical space, maximum occupancy. So this year, um, this year when they did it, they actually got the DGA. Uh, oh. screening room which wow. was amazing yeah and, and even that was completely packed totally packed so it was um they really uh took this even bigger now and i'm excited to see um you know how how the trend continues i think it's just going to get bigger and bigger yeah. and i'll tell you the the films that came out of this year just incredible did absolutely just, incredible did you just attend or were you involved in any of the projects or did you work with hbo at all on anything like that I just attended this one. Okay. So I got, I had the easy job of just <laughs> being, being a guest there, you know, was, um, so it was fun. I, I was really looking forward to seeing what, what they put out. And honestly, Jing and I called each other after and we're like, Hey, good thing we put it out this last year. <laughs> the, right. the production value, they really uh, stepped it up this year. Right. They also had a little more time, you know, sure. I'll give them that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so is the Asian American film community down there? Are, are you uh, deeply involved with I know Cape uh, is a big group down there. 
Um, do you participate with events with them or do you have recommendations of people who want to get involved or keep up with the Asian American film community down there? Um, yeah, definitely do, do my best to stay active with them. I mean, cool. it, it, and I encourage anyone, anyone and everyone um, to, you know, because this isn't a do it yourself type of business. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to do what, what is your responsibility for sure. But it is all about going out and networking. And when I say networking, not going out to get what you can for you, but going out to see what you have to offer and what right. you can share to help. Because that's what it all comes down to. And I think that's what CAPE and a lot of these organizations do a great job of trying to help our community out and help empower everyone so that they can find a space of people that are you know, like-minded on the same page that have the similar goals in mind that are you know, really feel like they have these stories that haven't been told yet from this perspective. And so I, I encourage anyone, well, whatever, whatever race you are, there's a, there's a group for everyone, you yeah. know, and even if you're not Asian and you just want to come out and support, it's not like uh, you're not allowed to be there because right. you're not Asian. Right. You know what I mean? Like we'll welcome everyone. That's, I think that's the whole purpose is we don't want to defeat, uh, the, defeat the whole purpose of this by creating such a tribal team to where, we in effect do you know um and i'm not saying that this is what these organizations are doing but we want to right. be careful of reverse racism right totally yeah i mean you want to make sure that you want to find allies right uh people want to help out and, and that's obviously a great thing for for everyone involved yeah yeah i mean as obviously of just starting the podcast basically everyone i've talked to uh you know when, when the interview wrapped they were just like hey you know if, if shoot me an email if you want any more people who you think can come on, things like that. So um, I, I think it shows that the community of, you know, Asian Americans involved in the arts and entertainment and pop culture uh, all have the same hunger to help develop, you know, a young generation or a new generation of people involved uh, and, and, and prop up those who are already participating in it. It's, it's, it's a pretty I'm telling cool. you, it's a really good time for diversity right now. Yeah. It really is. I've, I've never seen it like this before. I mean, I wish it was like this when I was growing up as a, as a young actor in mm-hmm. my teens, because yep. there wasn't anything like this, or at least at this level, right. there, there, there just wasn't, and, you know, and I mean, I'm telling you, like we're, we're becoming more vocal mm-hmm. than, than we ever were. You know, right. for the most part, it always used to be um, specifically for Asian people. It's like, oh, Asian people just keep their head down and, you know, right. they don't really uh, they don't really complain or talk about it. Right. I'm that not quote unquote complain. model minority or whatever. Right. right. Exactly. You know, and <laughs> I mean, what didn't Yale and Harvard just come out blatantly say like, yeah, we deny a bunch of Asians just because they're Asian. And right. If we, if we went purely by merit, there'd just be way more Asian people here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and then I think, uh, I think we're getting there to the point where enough of our, of our earlier generations of Asian people have gotten enough of those, uh, standard typical jobs of doctor lawyers and, 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 you know, and I think now we're finally starting to branch out into the arts, which is amazing, you know, cause that's really where your voice is heard. Right. Um, heard on a, such a grand scale too. I mean, uh, there's so many ways again to consume media now that even you know people who are getting onto YouTube and doing uh, whatever cover songs or just little skits and things like that is all a great way to introduce um, sort of different ideas to uh, you know to to the greater good the greater amount of people uh, something that stands out to me is a couple of years ago when all those um, you know how 
how white people do this, how Asian people do this. YouTube videos are blowing up maybe what, four or five years ago. Right. Um, you know, it, it was cool because they were like how Asian people, uh, you know, what Asian people do at home, but then they're all like the subsections, right? So it was like how Filipinos, how Chinese, how Koreans, and things <laughs> like that. So I thought that was cool to see that too, because it was a really easy way to show um, people who, you know, don't interact so much with uh, a, a variety of people from different Asian uh, backgrounds that, you know, we're not all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are differences. Yeah, and it's important, you know. I mean, we're not obviously we're not exactly where we want to be. Of course, we're striving in those directions. Yeah. I mean, there should definitely be way more Asian superheroes than there are. I mean, you know, that there are Asian people that kick ass. I know that. I've seen them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and, and it's it's going to happen. It's it's inevitable. I think it's eventually it's eventually heading in that direction. But I mean, going going over what we were talking about when I first started, there's a reason why my favorite movie was. Rocky or like my favorite superheroes or most inspirational people that I looked at, there just weren't many Asian stars for me to look up to, you know? And I, I think that's an important part that when, when you see something like that, if there's another Asian kid out there that sees another Asian superhero, then he sees that as an opportunity. Like, Oh, I can do this. I see someone else doing it. Maybe this is an option for me. Right. Yep. And so I, I think the more and more, diversity that we see in the industry the more you're going to see those diverse people go for it yeah that's awesome uh you also started a podcast right hence your uh your buddy justin lee right that's what it's called yeah ybjl yeah ybjl so man we got to bring you on <laughs> yeah that'd be great um so, so tell us a little bit about that you know honestly it was just um it was just something that I wanted to do for fun. Mm -hmm. For me, it, it was like, um, and acting, your acting's great. You know, it's it's amazing because you really get to flex that creativity. But a lot of acting too is you're still creating within a box to a certain extent. You're creating within the parameters of the characters or the roles that you're given. And you know, sometimes actors get bored going out for the same things, or they just want to expand more of who they are. You know, it's easy for actors to get typecasted into a certain role because they're really good at it really good at it, but you never get to see the other sides of them. And that's what I love about podcasts. When you bring people in from podcasts versus a Tonight Show, Tonight Show's got all this format. You don't really, it's got this agenda. You don't really get to see who this person is behind the occupation or the thing that they're trying to promote. Whereas in a podcast, especially a long form, when you can talk to someone for two to three hours, you really get to see this person for who they really are behind the, behind just the persona that they put out that the media all wants us to see. And the greatest thing is you see that they're just a human being right. and they're so relatable. They're just like us. Yeah. Right. And for me, the podcast was a way for me to express myself to the fullest degree without any worry of censorship or can I say this? Can I say that? Is a network going to be about <laughs> this? Who are the advertisement dollars? Right. You know, and it was, it was a, the, and it made me more creative. You know, it really made me to be able to find, that that voice that i'm happy with right to, to yeah. not to not be afraid of of saying anything to just be able to speak what's on my mind um without the inhibitions that's where i really found the benefit of doing this podcast and and the best part of it is just being able to sit down and talk to people yeah and the amount of growth and knowledge that you can gain from uh, from learning about other people's journey 
that is that is probably the most valuable aspect that I got from it and something that's a lost art. We don't we don't do that anymore. Even yeah. when we go to hang out with our friends, we're, how many of us are on our phones? Right. Uh, it's a lost art, but it's, it is coming back. I mean, even um, obviously podcasts are on a huge uh, thanks to serial. Everyone listens to podcasts now. Uh, and, and before that, I obviously have to talk about uh, This American Life. But even I was reading an article about how um, board games are now making a resurgence to among um, older millennials. Uh, I think as older, as people wane off of video games a little bit and they still want to hang out with friends, board games are apparently making an easy way to have like interactive and still uh, be in communication with, with your friends. So that is, is really interesting as well. Totally. I can agree with you more. I mean, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of what I do when I listen to things um, in the car isn't even pot or isn't even music anymore. It's podcasts because I'm trying to learn something or, or audiobooks. really. It's, it's, it's amazing what, what we've been. And I think you're right. Like we've been thirsting for something like this. Do you have any favorite audiobooks or podcasts you listen to? Oh man. Um, what's oh, a good podcast. I really like radio lab. Oh yeah, I love Radio Lab. It's just so interesting. Yeah, it's really I mean, interesting. The things that you learn from there, you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, you know, obviously the Tim Ferriss podcast is great. Um, uh, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast; it's great too. Um, I, I try to listen to a lot of people that are doing things better than me. <laughs> right. No, I mean that's that's a good yeah. way to learn, yeah. And then the audio book, um, man, this is gonna sound crazy, dude. I just. I'm about to finish an audio book from Dan Flores. Uh, it's called Coyote America. It's just a, it's a book all about coyotes. Oh, so literally, so that's not like a analogy. It's literally or a metaphor. No, it's literally it's about literally, coyotes. Yeah. And the things that I learned <laughs> about coyotes is incredible. They're, they are an incredible species. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> we'd, we'd be here talking about this while I go balls deep in coyotes for, uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes. And you're just like, let's talk about something else. <laughs> no, that's Dan good. Carlin's a good one too. Hardcore history. Oh yeah. Hardcore history. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, that's interesting. I mean, I think again with audiobooks and, and podcasts, too, you can find out, I really like um, stuff you should know. It's kind of yeah, in the same vein, right? Like one. they just really like dive in on the most random uh, things, but you, you find out, so much interesting stuff. Um, I don't think coyote, a coyote audiobook is, is that, uh, is that far off from what I think a lot of people listen to. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we wrap here, we talked a little bit before we started recording this. So you are a big sports fan. You said that before. Um, I'm assuming what you must be a Lakers or a Clippers fan uh, for NBA. I'm a Lakers fan. You are a Lakers Come on, fan. Okay. Clippers. <laughs> you know, you never Clippers. know. You never know down there. So, uh, <laughs> so you had quite the uh, quite the day yesterday. Um, yeah, I was Lakers. really happy until you're, you're a Warriors fan, right? I was yeah, Warriors. Really thrilled until I found out Boogie signed for chump change, five point four. <laughs> million dollars i know i love State it warriors oh, i love it you guys have an all-star team i know it's it's no, it's insane and and every I'm, starter is a top five player in their position i've never seen a team built like this in the history of and NBA I, ever and i will say so a the lakers i mean i can only feel so bad for the lakers you had what five bad seasons and during that time you still had kobe on your team for a good amount of it. The Warriors, we we had eleven win seasons, so I will take uh, I will take all the internet hatred um, that comes my way for enduring those awful awful years. 
Um, so she can't what? take it. My girlfriend's a Warriors fan. Oh, okay. So because <laughs> she's from she's from NorCal, so it's just so you're man. hearing it, yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I I I'm not one of those uh, Warriors haters. Like I I have a. I mean, I've got a. How can you not respect what that organization's been able to do? Home I mean, Let's be home real grown. here. Yeah. They only drafted one big free agent. Right. Everything else they built through the draft. So you can't hate on a team that did it through the draft. That's what I'm saying. And they stuck with Curry through all his injury issues. They found a way to develop him, to strengthen his ankles. Of course, a credit to his his hard work, right? But, I mean, come on. Regardless of the boogie trade, that that's just incredible that this team's been able to do that through the draft. And so they deserve all this all these accolades they definitely do and it's it's <laughs> fun to watch i just wish it was the lakers <laughs> yeah but <laughs> like like i said about lebron growing up i was like man i respect lebron but i i hate him he's so good <laughs> but i'll tell you what if he came to the lakers i would love him now, i'd and, love the shit out of and him and now you get him so uh, that's right and he is not slowing down i mean his performance last year was i mean anyone who and I was pretty much firmly on the camp of Michael Jordan is definitely the greatest of all time. Uh, I think being growing up in the Bay Area, I had a hard time admitting Kobe was in that conversation. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> last, I mean, last season, LeBron just—it's amazing Phenomenal. watching him. It, I mean, even before the season ended, I was already thinking I'm going to NBA pass whatever team uh, LeBron ends up on, uh, just so I can watch, continue to watch him play basketball. Uh, so I'm it's glad incredible. that he's in the Pacific. So. Uh, I'll get to see him quite a bit and, and get to see the uh, the inevitable bloodbaths. All right, so uh, we're about time here. So, Justin, where can where can people find you online? How can they see your work, listen to your podcast, all that sort of stuff? Uh, podcast is your buddy Justin Lee. It's on Apple, iTunes, um, Laughable. It's a Laughable app and YouTube. And uh, social media is YB Justin Lee. Um, or you can just go to the website. It should all be linked to justinleeofficial.com. But uh, yeah, that, that's it. That is it. It's awesome. Um, cool. Well, thanks for being on. Uh, this was a very, very fun conversation. Got to all over the place here. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to talk again soon. Awesome. Appreciate you, Ian. Love right. to bring you on to ours. Yes, let me know anytime. Whatever we can do to help each other out, man. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye.